Uh, we've been on this series talking about the illusionist, and I'll kind of cut to the chase. The illusionist is Satan. He is the great illusionist. And what illusionists do, some people may say, well, they're a magician. Yeah, sort of, kind of. It's more sleight of hand. Uh, really, what they're, let me say it this way. An illusionist is a master of distraction. That's really how an illusionist works. Why? Because they get you focused over here, but they're actually doing something over here. It's kind of like a flea flicker in football. You hand the ball off and the guy starts running this way, and then he turns around and throws it back to the quarterback, and hopefully no one has paid attention to the other guy running down the field, right? And the quarterback takes the ball. Why? Because he gets everybody focusing over here, not realizing the play's going on over there. And yet that's exactly what the devil does in our life is that he has lies and traps and things. He says one thing, but then he does something else. And it's so important that we understand that who he is. You know, statistically, according to the polls, if you people that they, about 40 to 60%, I've, I've read different numbers, of people who come to church don't even believe the devil is real. So the Bible talks about Jesus having a conversation with the devil. So if you want to deny his existence, you can take it up with Jesus. That's, just, that's what I'll say about that. But, but he is real, and, and he does have a plan. You know, there are two plans for your life. Well, actually three, I suppose, could be. There's our plan, what we want. There's God's plan, which is the best. But you know, the devil also has a plan for your life. He has an agenda. He has things. That, you know, we talk about walking into the will of God and pursuing God's purpose in our life. But, you know, the enemy has a plan and a purpose for you as well. And it's not for your good. It's ultimately, he wants to, to do everything he can to destroy every part of our life. Why? Because he knows that God loves you. And if he hurts you, he hurts God. That's really what it boils down to. And, you know, and so... And, so the enemy has these schemes, these tactics, these ways that he tries to gain access into our life. And so I'm going to sound really smart for a moment. I'm going to give you a definition of the word illusion. And then I'm going to give you my translation of this definition. So Merriam-Webster's dictionary says this about illusion. It says it's the perception of something objectively existing in such a way to cause misinterpretation of its actual nature. That sounds really smart, doesn't it? So it's the perception of something objectively existing in such a way. So here's my definition. An illusionist is one who deceives by distorting reality. In other words, an illusionist wants you to see something that's not actually happening, but they want you to believe that it actually is. You know, last week, Pastor Sam talked about this, uh, the time where they had this elephant and they snuck it into this place. And, the, well, the problem was it was all paid for actors, right? And the elephant walked in. Well, the elephant had been there all along. And, and, and so, you know, but yet it appeared and it's like poof. And the, the devil does this and he's a master at deception. So, you know, many times I believe what happens is, is it is very simple. Is people say, well, the devil made me do it. No, the devil deceived you, and you made a decision. We, in week one, we talked about Adam and Eve, right? Eve saw the fruit, and she began to buy into the lie, the deception, that the devil began to speak to her, and she made a decision. See, the devil can't make choices for us. 
even though sometimes we might want to blame him for it. He just simply put the bait out there, and we took it, right? And it's not, be, and it's not that we just, because if we saw it for what it was, we wouldn't go for it. I'm a fisherman. I like to fish. And you got to present a certain lure in a certain way to get a fish to respond to it. You know, and there's all kinds of creative ways. If you take a spinner bait, it's got, what, a skirt on it. The skirt's not just for decoration. It has a function, which is what? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. Ladies, it's a little bait with a skirt that puts it in your... But what's inside of that, it's hiding something that is what? Sharp and painful. The fish think, takes that bait thinking what? Dinner. And then once he gets hooked, guess what happens? He's thinking, I just became someone's dinner. See, he, he, he got enticed into something, not realizing there was a hook that was hidden. And that's what the enemy does. He entices us with things. He, he disguises things from us so that we will what? Take the bait and then he sets the hook. If we knew, I mean, how many of you have ever gone fishing with just a hook and thrown it in the water? And I don't mean like jerk fishing, you know, like where you can see the fish and you're like dropping it in there. Like, I've done that before. You know, you hook a fish in the tail or, you know, fish, hook him in all kinds of weird. No, I mean like just take a hook and go throw it in the water and see if you catch a fish. probably not going to catch too many fish. You might get one really dumb one, you know, that remedial fish, you know. He needs to go back a grade, but you might get one, but you ain't going to catch enough to eat dinner. Why? Because there's nothing to entice them. And the devil does this, and he is a master of disguise, of the illusion. Hey, let me get you focused over here so I can wreak some havoc over there. It's the way the enemy works. And so we've been discussing these things. And so, and ultimately, he wants us to believe a distorted reality. You know, I, I use this as an example because it's easy and most people can relate. But have you ever heard something that kind of got around to you through the grapevine that somebody said about you? And then you go and ask that, you know, you get really mad and really upset. Well, I can't believe they would say that about me. Why would, why would, you know, why would they have that opinion about me? And then when you actually, sometimes, unfortunately, maybe even years later, have a conversation and realize that that was actually not what they said and it was definitely not their intention. And what you realize is you've lost time of a relationship that was really valuable on something that you perceived to be true that wasn't. Or maybe they said what was said, but they didn't mean it the way that you interpreted it. You ever get a text message and you get frustrated by it? They're like, you know, why are you all capsing me? Why are you yelling? You know what I'm talking about? And, and so, or, or you get something and it's misinterpreted. I mean, sometimes me and Dara will have text conversations and I just call her and I'm like, okay, we're not, we're not on the same page. Like, let's just talk about this and figure it out. Why? Because the way she's interpreting or maybe I'm interpreting, that conversation is different than what we actually mean. And the enemy will do this and he's pretty good at it. But here's the good news is that the Bible tells us that we already have victory over him. We are not doing this series to glorify Satan. We are doing it to expose him. Because he is defeated. There are, you know, ultimate victory, yes, he's defeated. 
But there are still battles that we are walking through. And he does it not in our face. Now, he'll use people if they will allow him, yes. The devil's not knocking on your door wreaking havoc. But he will influence people around you to try to bring about his plans and his purposes in your life. That's why the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. We're not. Excuse me. We're fighting against a very real enemy who has a plan and a purpose. But we don't want his plan and purpose. I mean, the devil's not going to show up, knock on your door like a trick-or-treater with a little pitchfork and say, Hi, I'm the devil. I'm here to destroy your life. Will you let me in? No. He's going to wait till you're not home. He's going to check all the windows and check all the doors. And he's going to kind of watch you a little bit. And and he's going to try to gain access to your life. But that's why we have the word of God. The word of God, the Bible says, is that it's the truth that sets us free. God's word is true. The devil is a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. How do you know if, if, if the, how, how do you know if the devil's lying? Because he's talking. Well, how do you know if it's the devil talking to you? Does it line up with God's word? Here's what, you know, a couple weeks ago I shared with you is that the devil, one of the illusions, one of the tricks, that, the traps that the enemy would love to get you to buy into is that every thought is your own. <clears throat> well, here, let me help you with that just a little bit more. It doesn't matter if it's the devil's thought or your thought. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it needs to change. It's really that simple. So don't get so caught up in, well, where did this thought come from? doesn't really matter. The question is, what are you going to do with that thought? The Bible tells us to take those thoughts captive. So we've been looking at this verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, <clears throat> so that we would not be exploited by the adversary, <clears throat> Satan, he says, for we know his clever schemes. Another translation says that we are not ignorant of his devices, his, his ways. The, the enemy is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He doesn't know every thought that you have. Some people think the devil can read my mind. No, he can't. But he can listen to your words. And out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is going to talk. Like, I, I, don't, I, I can't read your mind, but if I hang out with you, if we spent some time together, more than like five minutes, and I could listen to you actually talk, I could tell you what's in your heart, not because I'm some prophetic genius, because I can listen to the words of your mouth, and that reveals your heart. Well, the enemy does the same thing. He can listen to the words that we say. And he can begin to, what, design a perfect little package for us to fall in. He can design that perfect little bait to hook us with. So part of what we're wanting to do through this series is we're wanting to give you truth. We're wanting to expose Satan. Why? Because there's freedom in truth. That's part of our our values. It's part of our vision as well. We want you to know God, but we want you to what? Find freedom. See, because you can know God, but... Never actually connect knowing God to actually finding real freedom. And yet Jesus came so that you could have what? Life and life to its fullest potential. So you can be saved and still be bound by some stuff of your past. Now we want to help you to be free of those things. 
We want you to, to accurately see what's, what's going on. And so here's my first liar trap that I want to share with you this morning. We've been sharing these every week. And so, you know, I, I know we've been through a list, but this is one that I think is, we can do it without even thinking. And yet we see it, you know, there in week one, I, I shared with you the story about Adam and Eve and the original sin was actually not eating the apple. That was just the results of the first sin. The first sin was trusting themselves more than trusting God. It was a, a self-reliance thing. And so I would say it this way is that here's the first trap or one of the traps that the enemy would, would try to get us to fall for is this, is that you've got this. You can handle this. Like you don't need to pray. You don't need to read. You don't need to ask God for wisdom. Why? Because the Bible tells us if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and God will what? Give it freely without reproach. So the enemy, if he can get you to just say, I can figure this thing out, he's already got you. Why? Because you've already stepped away from relying upon God as the source of your wisdom, as the source of counsel. Oh, man, I've, I, I can handle this. I, I, I can figure this out. Look, I'm a fixer by nature. My wife has to tell me, I just need you to listen, not fix. Because she's like, you know, two sentences in, I'm already like, I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to take care of this. We're going to do that. Like, and she's like, I don't need you to fix nothing. It's just, I'm wired that way. Solutions, right? And yet, what if God wanted to do it completely differently? What if, I mean, this is what I have found is that many times God will do something in my life. I have experienced this. Where he does it in a way that I think, well, that doesn't even make sense. Because I had a good plan. I had this thing figured out. But God did it a totally different way. Yeah, but my way would have required a lot more work, a lot more effort, a lot more worry, and a lot more stress. God did it in a way that I could have never even really put into my thoughts. But yet I had to trust him. See, Proverbs gives us wisdom. If you don't know where to read in the Bible, start in the book of Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom. It's, it's one of the most practical books in the Bible. You're like, well, the Bible doesn't seem very real to me. Start reading in Proverbs. It's going to tell you how to live. Proverbs will not help you in heaven, but what it will do is going to help you here on earth, though. So it's a good thing. There's 31 Proverbs, one for every day of the month. You ain't even got to think about it. Today's what? Today, the 10th. Go read Proverbs 10. Tomorrow, read Proverbs 11. It's easy. You miss a day, just pick back up. Who cares? I did that for years and years and years. I still love Proverbs. But Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says this. There is a way that seems right. Logically, this makes sense. There is a way that seems right to a man, and it appears to be straight before him. So it seems right. You ever had one of those moments where you went to do something and, and everything on paper, I mean, you've thought about it, I mean, you've done all your due diligence, you've done all these things, and it's like everything just seems perfect. Like it's too good to be true. I don't know, I, I've had some of those moments, but, and I'm thinking, man, I've got to do this. This is the blessing of the Lord. But there's just something on the inside of me that says, don't do this. I've shared this before. I, when me and Dara were dating, we bought a car for her. 
And I was determined. I wanted a particular car in a particular color and all these things. We got to the dealership. It was a good price, all this thing. Later on, I found out why it was a good price. I paid more fixing that car than I paid for the car. And I knew it. Like, I, the Lord was telling me. And it wasn't like, don't buy this car. It was just like, something just don't feel right. And I'm like, nope, we're here. We're buying a car. Bless God. And that car was nothing. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Both handles, both door handles broke off. I barely got one fixed and the other one broke. I was just like, are you kidding me? Derek took a right turn one day. The transmission just went out. <laughs> Completely. 3500 bucks. Praise the Lord. But what happened? It seemed good. The car looked great. It ran great. It was everything that I thought it was going to be. See, it seemed right. It appeared right. See, I was trusting in myself versus trusting the Lord. And it says, but in, in the end of the verse says, but its end is the way of death. Just because things look right, seem right, you need to check with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Why? Because you need to acknowledge that you need him. Sometimes we can say, well, I want God. Yeah, but you don't. But it's even deeper than that. We deeply need him. We need his wisdom in our life. Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. I'm going to pull out a few things here, but it says, My children, he says, listen to your, to your father who corrects you. He says, pay attention and learn good judgment. Learn good judgment. Nobody just has judgment by, it's not a spiritual gift, you learn it. It says, for I am giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instructions, for I too was once my father's son. You know, we always joke, like, it's amazing how much smarter our parents get the older we get. Because... <laughs> Why? Because when, when we were younger, we thought our parents were just dumb. And then we realized, hey, they might have known a few things. It says, for I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. He said, my father taught me, take my words to heart and follow my commands and you will live. Now think about this. Don't trust yourself. Trust my commandments. Trust my word. Trust the Bible. And you will live. Don't trust what you see, trust his word. Why? Because it produces life. Now it goes on and it says, get wisdom. Get wisdom. Nobody's wise when they're born. You have to get it. You got to go find it. You got to pursue it. Get wisdom. And it says to develop good judgment. Develop. It's going to take some time. You know what? I learned how to hear the voice of God, not because I got it right, but because I got it wrong buying a car that cost me a lot of money. And I learned that was the Lord. So I had to develop how to discern God's voice. So don't get frustrated if you're like, man, I knew I shouldn't have done that. And I did it anyways. I'm such a loser. No, learn. Learn, develop how to hear God's voice. That's the only way it's going to happen. You're not just going to wake up one day and all of a sudden God's going to start talking to you. And you're like, the Lord's speaking to me. 
No, you're probably gonna do something that you knew you probably shouldn't have, and then you're gonna say, oh, that was the Holy Spirit. You know, I heard something here funny, or a little funny statement here a while back, just remind me of it. And he said, you wanna know the difference between a good idea and a God idea? He says, it's the extra O, right? He said, so like you go buy the car, and then it's like, oh, shoot, it's the extra O. So there's a way that seems right. There's a way that looks right, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And here he says, man, you've got to get wisdom, develop good judgment. He says, don't forget my words and t- or turn away from them. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. In the current culture of our nation, we live in a culture that has the lowest biblical literacy in our nation's history. And I don't mean that as a knock on anybody. It's just the reality. Fewer people grew up in church. Fewer people grew up learning the scriptures. There are many times, even as a communicator, that I adjust how I say things. Or, let me say this way, I don't make assumptions that people know the stories I'm talking about. Because the reality is, is most don't. And yet, here, so if we're not careful, we can even turn away from the wisdom of God, the wisdom of Scripture. Why? And begin to trust ourselves. I can figure this thing out. I've got this. No, 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 no. That's a, that's a trap. The devil's out there trying to get you to trust yourself because what? He can't influence God's Word, but he can influence you. And it, but what? God's Word is true. Well, tr- freedom comes through truth. So if he can keep you from finding truth, he can actually keep you bound. See, that's why it's important to have relationships too because you need people around you going, hey, you're talking kind of funny. I hear what you're saying, and, and man, I'm a little concerned. That's why you need to be in a group. You need to have some relationships, some friendships, some people who know you. I have friends of mine that when they, when they pick up the phone and say, hello, I can say, are you okay? Because I can hear it in their voice. I know them that well. They ain't got to talk 10 seconds. I'm like, what's going on? You don't sound too great. What's up? And they can do the same thing to me. Relationships matter. Why? Because they help us when we begin to turn, they will pull us back in focus where we need to be. He goes on and he says, don't turn your back on wisdom for she will protect you. Love her and she will guard you. She will guard you. So not only will she protect you, but she's going to keep you too. Well, what is wisdom? The Bible says the beginning of wisdom is this, to fear the Lord. Not in a I'm afraid kind of scared kind of way. The fear of the Lord is, God, you are smarter than me. You are creator. I'm the created. I'm going to listen to you. That's the fear of the Lord. It's not living by my own way. It's not living by my own rules. It's living and saying, God, you know what? I trust you. You know, there are times I have little kids and there are times I don't need my son to understand. I just need him to obey. Max, don't run out in traffic. It's not the time for me to explain to him. I don't have time to explain it. I just don't need him out in traffic. Right? And there are times in our life, even with God and even with the word of God, where we read things and we're like, well, I don't understand. My favorite question growing up was always why. Don't do that. Why? 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 That's actually gotten me in trouble in my walk with the Lord. 
because I, there are times where I've not understood and said, I'll just do what I want because I don't understand why you're asking me to do that. And guess what? It's never produced anything good in my life. And it wasn't until I got to the place to come back to the Lord and say, okay, I've obviously missed something. And I have to repent and I have to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I know that this is what your word says. I don't have to understand it to obey it. But many times we want to what? We want to understand it before we're going to line up with it. But we have to trust that what? God is good. God is good. There used to be a song called The Devil is Bad. God is good and he wants nothing but good in our life. And yet we can sometimes struggle with, well, I need to understand. And I, look, I can struggle with this. God, why, 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 why? And he, I just need you to, to listen. I just need you to, to do it. And then I see the fruit of that decision. I'm like, why did I wait so long? I mean, this, I should have made that decision a long time ago. No, wisdom protects you and guards you. It goes on and says that getting wisdom is the wisest thing that you can do and whatever else you do you, to develop good judgment. It says if you prize wisdom, she will make you great and embrace her and she will honor you. Now, I know it's talking a lot about wisdom, but where the, the source of all wisdom is God. He's already given us his word. It is the source of wisdom for us. In James chapter 1, verse 23 through 25, it says, If you listen to the word but don't obey, it's like glancing in a mirror, glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and walk away and you forget what you look like. So let me explain that briefly to you. Whenever you read the Bible and you say, that doesn't look like me, you just did that scripture. Because he says, when we, what? When we listen to the word of God, when we come to church, when we read our Bible and we listen to it, but we don't obey, what we did is that we came and looked at the mirror of Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, was the word made flesh and he came and dwelt among us. So when we read scripture, we're looking at Jesus who is everything that he saved us to be. But then we say, but then we walk away, and yeah, but that's not me. Now, we're in process of becoming like him. We're not there yet. None of us are. But we're in process of becoming more and more like him. And so when we see the word of God and, and we hear the word of God, but we don't obey it, what happens? It's like a man who forgets what he looks like the moment he walks out of the bathroom. And yet God's word is really the picture of who God has called all of us to be. But it goes on, it says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law, the, 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 the perfect way that sets you free. See, if you're dealing with, with things in, where the enemy has gotten hold in your life and, and even those areas where he's gotten you to trust yourself, if you'll begin to look to the word of God, it will set you free. Freedom is not just an event, it's meeting the person of Jesus in every area of your life. It's true. But if you look into the perfect law, the word of God, it will set you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, God will bless you for doing it. There's blessings, there's rewards for what? The Bible talks about this. There are earthly rewards and there are heavenly rewards. Don't think that everything you do for God is just over the moment that you Cease to, to breathe on this planet. No, there, there's, there's more. 
I get rewarded in this life and in eternity. So I'm not just living for this moment, I'm living for that moment because that one's going to last a lot longer. See, the enemy tries really, really hard to convince us to trust ourselves over God. Because if he can do that, he's he's going to gain a lot of control. But what he's doing by getting us to trust ourselves is he's actually stealing from us the strength and the ability that we would have had had we relied upon the Lord. And that's what he's after. Psalms 119, 105 says this. It says that your word, truth, shining light guides me in my choices and my decisions. The revelation of your word makes my pathway clear. One translation would say it like this, is that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, it's gonna give me direction for right now and for the future. That's really what it's talking about. I can see right here and I can see down there. God's word would do that for us. See, we, we have to be, and because the, the other side of this is that we can also go to the negative side where we just say, well, I can do nothing without, you know, like I'm worth nothing. And so, but we need to understand who we are. In other words, our value, our worth, when we recognize our worth, that'll bring some confidence. And that's important. We need to have confidence. We don't need to just be, well, I'm no good for nothing. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, although that's true. But yeah, but I've been saved by grace for something too. So recognition of our worth will bring confidence, but we also need to be aware of our lack. We need to have recognition of our lack. Why? Because that produces humility. See, the Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace, his ability to the humble. So when we trust him, guess what he's doing? He's giving us grace for everything that we need. That's an important fact that we have to understand. Here's another trap, and I'm going to share this one. I'm going to try to share this one pretty quick, but this is really rampant in our culture right now. Uh, And I think it's always been there, but I just think in the day and the age in which we live, it's even more accessible, I'll say it that way, which is this, is that you deserve it. You deserve it. It's this need for more and this justification of more and more and more and more and more. And the enemy will come in and whisper, oh, hey, you've earned this one. You deserve this. See, the enemy, man, because guess what? This is what I have found, just as an example, because we're talking about it. You know, we're getting into the holiday season. I've not met many people who were up to debt into their eyeballs who were truly happy. And I have been up to my debt in eyeballs, so I don't say that in judgment. I say that from, it wasn't a fun time. I was stressed out all the time. But I've met a lot of people who, through godly wisdom, managed their money well, and they were really happy. They may not have had a bunch of stuff, but what they did have was happiness. And contentment. And yet, the enemy will come and whisper, whisper, oh, you deserve this, you deserve this, you deserve this. And the thing is is that when you get tired, when you get stressed, me and my wife would call it shop therapy. We got to go spend some money we ain't got. Why? You deserve it. Look, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't spend money. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have nice things. I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless us. I believe he does. But this lie, this trap of the enemy, 
You know, we live in the social media day. Like, man, I wish I had a vacation like that. They're going to have fun paying for that vacation for the next two years. If you want to help them pay for it, I'm sure they would allow you. The pictures were great, but they were really expensive. Oh, well, you deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that I'm like, if I think about it, I'm like, I think I want that. Like, if I tell my wife, I'm thinking about getting, I'm not really, I've already decided. I'm just informing her of my decision. And she's like, we haven't talked about this. I'm like, oh, sure we have. And she's like, no, you had a conversation with yourself. We have not talked about this. And so many times, but the enemy can come in, though. Oh, but yeah, you, you, not even, because it goes beyond like that you need it. It's even deeper than that. No, you deserve this. And this isn't just a young or an old thing. This is a people thing. We have access. I can buy it today. I mean, I don't even have to go in the store to get my groceries. I want it, and I'm going to drive, and y'all just bring it out to the car. I'll order something. Well, I don't have it in town. I'll order it and get it here tomorrow. We live in the day of instant. There's instant gratification, which we see all the time, and then there's instant regret the moment it shows up, or at least when the bill comes anyways. Now, I want to show you a story about something in this, that this ha- that something very similar that, that, that we can see in the Old Testament. It comes out of 2 Kings chapter 5. Now, I need to give you a little bit of backstory before we read these scriptures. So the prophet Elijah was the man of God during that time. There was a man named Nahum who was a general. He was a military man, but he had uh, really had gotten um, leprosy, which leprosy, we don't know much about it in our society, but leprosy is really like a flesh-eating disease. Like literally, people would have no nose, no ears. I mean, it would begin to eat your fingers. I mean, it's just bad. Well, this man was trying to get answers, and so this young girl you know, he was talking about it, and she said, hey, you, you need to go see the man of God over in this area, and, and he'll help you. And so, long story short, he shows up. He gets mad because Elijah wouldn't come out and even talk to him. He said, just go down to the Jordan River and dip. And he goes, and you'll be made whole, dip seven times, blah, 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 all these things. There's a lot of dialogue that I'm getting past, but I just want you to understand what's happening in the story. And so, the guy gets mad, says, I'm not going to the Jordan River. That's a dirty river. And then one of his men had the wisdom around him to say, hey, if he had asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. Why not just go dip in the river like he said? What's the worst thing that could happen? It's going to happen just like he said. He goes, he gets completely miraculously healed. Leprosy's gone. The Bible says he was made whole, so if he didn't have a nose, he had a nose when he came up out of that water. I mean, it's pretty crazy. If he didn't have his fingers, they were back. I mean, it's pretty, pretty cool. And so what do you think? Nahum's response is to Elijah, hey, what you want? I got resources, what you want? I'll give you anything, because I, I had a death sentence, so what do you need? I'll write the check. And Elijah says, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. As a matter of fact, so the story picks up in verse 15, and Nahum and his entire party went back to find the man of God. It says, they stood before him, and Nam said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. I bet you do. I bet you do. He says, so please accept a gift from your servant. But Elijah replied and says, as surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Nahum urged him to take the gift, Elijah refused. 
But Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said to himself, said to himself, my master should not let this Armenian get away without accepting any of his gifts. And as surely as the Lord lives, I will chase after him and get something from him. Like, Elijah, are you kidding me? You just healed this guy of this unbelievably decimating disease and you won't take anything? And Gehazi thinks, hey, if you won't take it, I am. Because you deserve it, but you, if you ain't going to get it, I, I'm going to go get it. You see the thought process already at work here? So Gehazi set after Nahum. It says, when Nahum saw Gehazi running, after him he climbed down from the chariot and went to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Yes, Gehazi said. But my master has sent me to tell you that two young prophets from the hill country of Ephraim have just arrived. And he would like 75 pounds of silver. This guy like just, he went for it. And I need two sets of, of clothes as well. He says, by all means, take twice as much silver. This guy's got 150 pounds of silver. Gave him two sets of clothes, tied up the money in bags, and even sent two servants to carry the gifts. 150 pounds gets heavy after a little bit. He says, but when he re- arrived back at the citadel, the city, Gehazi took the gifts from the servants and he sent the men back. So before, right when he got to the outside of the city, he said, hey guys, I got it from here. Let me, let me just take this and I'm going to go put it somewhere safe. He says, then he went and he hid the gifts inside the house. And then when he went, then when um, Gehazi went into his master, Elijah asked him and says, where have you been? Gehazi says, oh, I haven't been anywhere. Now listen to this. But Elijah asked him, don't you realize that I was there in spirit when Naaman stepped down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to receive money and clothing, olive groves and vineyard sheep and cattle and male and female servants? Because you have done this, you and your descendants will suffer from Naaman's leprosy forever. Why? Because Gehazi thought he deserved something. He saw something that he wanted. And he said, no, that, I deserve this. See, many times the enemy does this to us. And it's not just in the, in the areas of, of finances, although I think that's the That's one of the easiest ones. It could be in our relationship. You're online looking at somebody else's marriage and thinking, I wish my marriage was like that. Don't look at their highlight reel and try to judge that to what you know behind the scenes. Why? Because that's a trap of the enemy. Yeah, but I I deserve this. I deserve that. I deserve this promotion. If you trust the Lord, the Bible says that promotion comes from the Lord, not from man anyways. If you're, if, if, let me say it this way. I just have the belief that if, if the place that you work refuses to promote you properly, God will find you a new place of employment to promote you to. You don't have to work it. We ought to be diligent. We ought to be a, a good worker. We ought to, to do right. We need to show up on time. Do our job. I mean, yes, we need to do all those things, yes. But promotion comes from the Lord, not from man. 
But see, that goes back to trusting in the Lord. See, any time that we begin to, to have that thought of that we deserve something, what happens is we'll begin to justify the compromises in our life to gain what we deserve. We'll begin to justify those things in our life that we deserve. No, we shouldn't have to justify anything. We begin to compromise, to gain things, to get things. That's not God's best. The Bible says that God's blessing comes and he adds no sorrow with it. There is no buyer's remorse when God's blessing comes. There is no like, man, I wish I wouldn't have. It's like, oh my gosh, look what God has done in my life. And I trust God to what? Bring me everything that I need. I'm not looking to anybody else or anything else. I'm not looking to my job as my source. God is my source. So I, he's going to determine what I, what I need and what I deserve, not me. I don't have time to read it, but over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I would encourage you, verses 5 through 8, is it actually gives us an example or a story of several people who actually the Bible says in the last part, I'll read you verse, tell you what, I'll read you verse 9 and 10. I'll give you the paraphrase. Basically, here it talks about that godliness with contentment is great gain. That would be right here in this passage. But in verse 9, it says that those who crave wealth in the world or of this world will slip into spiritual snares, spiritual traps. They become trapped by the troubles that come through their foolish and harmful desires driven by greed and drowning in their own sinful pleasures. It says, and they take others down with them into corruption and eventual destruction. It says, loving money. Money ain't bad. We need it. The electric company don't take IOUs, so you need some money. There's nothing wrong with money, but it's the love of money, that, that overarching desire for money is the first step towards all kinds of trouble. People run after it so much that they've even given up on their faith. Craving more money pushes them away from their faith into error, compounding the misery in their lives. I know this isn't a comfortable thing to talk about because nobody likes talking about being content. No one likes to talk about, you know, because we live in an I deserve it culture. And yet, if I'll just trust the Lord and not try to figure it out when the blessings come, there's no strings attached. See, when the devil lures things, there's always strings attached. It's, he doesn't give free gifts. There's always a string. There's always that hook that he's going to grab and pull us back into. Oh, you know, you might be single. I'll just use that example. And you have a desire to be married. That's a good desire. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not careful, you can become of the mindset of, I deserve to be in a relationship that you will settle for something less than God's best. And that hook of the enemy, and it will cause tremendous pain in your life. That if you knew the pain ahead of time, you would have never said hello. So even in, in that area, don't get so, well, no, I, I have to have this. And look, I, I know that's a sensitive subject. I get it. But trust the Lord to bring the right person at the right time. Trust his wisdom. Trust his timing. Why? Because God sees all. We don't. And God will bring you the right, his right person. Because the enemy going to bring you somebody. Trust me. And he's going to be a knucklehead. 
or she will be either way. And they will get you to compromise. They will get you to pull away from the very things that you know in your heart that God has for you. No, it's important. You've got to trust God. Don't trust yourself. Don't get into that I deserve it mentality because the enemy will rob from you. And so I hope through this series, as, as we're kind of wrapping up this morning, I hope through this time that we've been sharing with I hope some light bulbs have gone off in you. I hope there's been some things where the Holy Spirit has highlighted areas of your life where, where the enemy has gained access and maybe even some control into your life. And you realize, oh, man, I, I kind of left the back door open. I didn't know. I left that window unlocked in my life. I, left that, I let that thought kind of just sit in my mind, and I really needed to, to tear it down and, and make it line back up with God's word. And now I realize why I'm bound. Now I realize where the enemy has gotten really some access into my life and why it seems like things aren't working right now. God's truth and God's word brings freedom. It always does. It's his desire. And so this morning, I want to pray over you as we're closing out this morning. You know, I, I believe that, that the work of the enemy doesn't have to be powerful in our life at all. As a matter of fact, I don't believe it has to be at all. It doesn't mean he won't come, but it just means that I just have to assert victory, the, the victory that I already have in Christ in my life, that you have in life, that you have through Christ. You just have to, what, assert that. Well, you do that through the word of God. That's what Jesus did. Go read John 4. The enemy came, brought temptation. He says, yeah, but the word says, the word says, the word says, the word says. I mentioned this earlier, but man, you have the name of Jesus. It's not just the, the cover-up of everything, but, man, it is powerful. And we need to be using that in our life. We need to be using that as we pray. So I want to pray this morning over.